I've got one! I've got a special purpose! You do? Yeah, it's fantastic! It's great! It's unbelievable! And I was afraid to tell you about it! Your mother's gonna love me! It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Dear Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, from the jerk. That was wonderful, Steve Martin and uh, Bernadette Peters. Excellent. I know so many people. And Jackie Mason. And Jackie Mason. Oh, my God, Jackie Mason. Unbelievable. I'm still waiting for my eBay purchased. Uh, I think it's DVD. I don't think it's Blu-ray, but uh, the world, according to me, back from the 80s, his Broadway show, the late, great Jackie Mason. I've got New York on the brain here today. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour on the cusp of Mom's Day, Mother's Day. This one's dedicated to moms everywhere this weekend. We hope that you're having a great time, whichever gender. Everybody's got a mom. Even if you aren't one, you have one. Right. The divine feminine. The divine feminine. Whether or not you are a mother, you still have divine feminine energy. Yes. We're going to talk energy today. Oh my gosh, are we talking energy? An energy well spent rather than misspent, it seems to me. That's coming up momentarily. (laughs) But let's say hello to our buddy, tall guy, Nathan. Nathan Miller, how are you doing today? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And happy Mother's Day weekend to you both. And does that give me permission to wish gary a happy mother's day too i've been called a mother far more often than i can even <laughs> count there. so i'm going to take that as sort of a backhanded compliment and uh you know i miss my mom dearly she passed away back in 2008 and um you know she she did her best i give her def a lot of credit for that she was a good mom absolutely every mother's day and suzanne you might have your own ritual nathan you might have yours so i just I, I have this collection of photos in a little scrapbook that my mom prepared as an heirloom to hand that down to me. And I leave all of those photos, unless I'm scanning them in place, I'll slip them back in. So they're all in the proper order. And to me, that's a treasure that's irreplaceable. So on the big days during the year, including her birthday and her day of passing and Mother's Day, I like to bring out those pictures and just remember the good times. There you go. Anybody I, else in on that with me? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to start a bandwagon effect here. <laughs> well, th- this will be something that we can talk about with our guest today. I, m- one of my most favorite Mother's Days was when I was having a very difficult time with my mother. And the sermon of the day was, you got the perfect mother. Because if she's wonderful, you want to be just like her. And if she isn't, you don't want to be anything like her. <laughs> And so uh, with that, I love my mother. She is also living on the other side. And uh, Nathan, you live close to your mom? I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, right good. in the Very Seattle good. area. Treasure that relationship. Yep. It is unique. Yep, yep, yep. Today we're going to be talking to, for the third time, third time, the wonderful Bridget Dengel Gaspard. She has written a book that's going to help you cross the finish line a winner. Enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals is at the top of the title. I'll say that again. Enlist your inner selves 
to accomplish your goals. The book title formally is The Final Eighth. And Bridget is joining us today, as I say, for the third time. We're going to get into some very personal growth, metaphysical weeds, the idea of taking control of your life. It is a huge enterprise for a fairly thin volume, but it's chock full of wisdom. Bridget, looking for this stuff here. Now, somebody handed me this thing. It comes from a oh here published this in San Francisco. You know you got to trust it. Here we go, right here. Bridget Dengel Gaspard, LC. SW is the author of The Final Eighth and the founder of the New York Voice Dialogue Institute. She is a former performer who earned her master's degree from Columbia University and teaches at numerous professional settings, including the famous Omega Institute. She lives in New York City, Brooklyn, I believe, where she maintains a thriving private practice. If you're going to be renting office space in New York City, you best be thriving. And we'll tell you later how you can visit her online when we get to our marketing piece after our bottom of the hour break. But for the moment, Bridget Dengel Gaspard, welcome for the third time, Bridget. Glad to see you today. Oh, it's so good to be here and wonderful Mother's Day's celebration out to you both. Uh, I loved that. Um, Suzanne, that idea that, you know, if you don't have the best relationship with your mom it gives you motivation to be other than her and right. th- certainly that's how we develop yep. different in ourselves in relation to what was supported or not supported in our original household well absolutely i pulled that right from your book this morning when uh in your book you say our primary selves may actually form in opposition to our p- parental approval so as I as I said, you you either want to be just like your mother or you want to be nothing like your mother, depending on how your relationship with your mother went. Before we get too far into the whole mother thing, I know this is your third time, but I thought it would help anybody who wasn't around for the first two times or who may have forgotten to do a mini review of the overview of what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about our inner selves. Bridget, take it away. My pleasure. So this is based on the work of my mentors, the doctors Hal and Sidra Stone, and it's called Voice Dialogue. And the premise is our healthy personality consists of many different selves. And so we don't have to have the pressure of being just one thing. And a lot of people feel like, "Uh uh-oh, what am I, crazy or off or weird or any of those words because I should be just one thing. We celebrate that we are in fact many different selves. And so as we talked about just a second ago, how it all develops is when we grow up in our household, first as infants, and then as we go through different stages of development, becoming toddlers, going to school, getting influences beyond our household, then we develop different parts. And some of them are reinforced, like maybe for me, it was being a good girl, a good listener, kind, aka obedient. And so some of my angry selves, more assertive, even though I'm from New York, not all New Yorkers are uh, 
let's say, nurtured to be assertive. Um, so then what happens is that you get the pain of something. Like in this book, I really fe feature stuckness and how you get stuck in your life and that you think you want your goal with every fiber of your being. But the truth is not every part of you wants what you think you want and for excellent and often very deep reasons. And with, then with voice dialogue, we listen and dialogue with each individual subpersonality, alter ego, inner self. We use the same names to refer to the same parts of ourselves. And we learn their wisdom and their concerns. They each have a gift and a sting. And then we can update our personal and direct relationship with different parts of ourselves. So if say earlier, my angry self was somehow squelched, I can end up realizing my angry self actually has a lot of really important things to support me about, like fighting injustice or not accepting no when it's inappropriate or the opposite, not accepting inappropriate behavior and those kind of very self-protective things. So I can leave my original message about that part of me and have my own adult direct message. And that is so liberating and often is what's at foot under stuckness, that parts of you that are still afraid of things that you were afraid of early in your life, even though you might think you got over them, they're still somehow affecting your stuckness. Some selves are against you moving forward and they're wise. And my whole approach is listen to them. Don't fight them. Just say, hey, you're here. Let me honestly hear what you have to say. I can um, I can remember uh, Freud wanting to um, integrate every personality, but that was actually unusual to have that because before his time, people were more accepting of multiple selves as not being aberrant, which of course it can be, but of being much more acceptable. And then Freud said, no, 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 you can only be, you can only be see one person as that is it. And so then we had to get behind that, that one person. I know I brought this up last year. There are several television commercials that show multiple selves, but my most favorite is the one of the woman who is selling a house and she goes into a room of herself. She's got 20 people sitting around a table and she goes, we're going to sell this house and buy this house. And then she points to her different selves and, you know, her negative self says no. And, you know, another negative self says something else. And then she goes to a third self who says, um, oh, you know, I think we can run the numbers. I think it'll all work out. And so we kind of do that in our own lives when we have a, a presenting issue where we look at things from so many different angles and we think maybe we're only one person looking at it from multiple angles, but maybe what we're in doing is engaging our various personalities as to what it is that's going to work for them. Is it going to work for me to move or change jobs or or relationships or whatever it might be. And so you start consulting with all those inner parts of yourself. Does that seem like a good description, Bridget? That's a perfect description. And also you sometimes selves are really concerned about what other people think 
And so like when you have an issue and you're asking, okay, this self says X and that self says Y, I have a client right now who's come to realize the career she studied for and is now in is not rewarding in the way she hoped. And so she's facing that right now, like, wow, I've got to change because I actually don't like what I thought I would like. And then we realize that her, her good girl selves, the um, perfectionists, they're more concerned with the feelings that are going to be hurt when she has to leave her job. She's got other selves that are already getting lining up job interviews in a, a, in a career that's aligned, but it's not what she's doing directly. So I agree completely. And also part of the equation is how to handle the the ripples you're going to put out or ruffling those feathers because you are I mean that's the other thing a couple times in the last year different people have told me about um, thinking about leaving their jobs and they didn't want to discuss it with their bosses wow and, and, and so you know what you're saying really rings true in real life and what you talk about is the places where we all get stuck. And, and when we get stuck, who is it that's running the show? I love that. And that's really an, a vital question. And people don't like to admit because it's embarrassing or they think there's parts of them that think they should be better than this. But some of our show is being run by four-year-old very helpful, but uninformed toddlers. They really are. And if you think about it, our inner children are our oldest selves. Talk about a paradox. Gary, I got the giggles over that one. Our inner children are our oldest selves. And you know, I knew we were going to get back to mothers and children. At some point. Unavoidable this weekend. There, but when you know, Bridget, when we talk about that, what does it mean for us to encounter childhood voices? Not, I mean, they're operative enough not to be mere echoes of our childhood, they represent values and perceptions, a way of seeing the world. At what point do you simply have to say to these cells, if you do it all, you need to grow up? You need to you need to let go of those things because we're facing big people big people problems here in an adult world and sometimes a harrowing adult world. How do we integrate these selves so that we can interact with the world as successfully as possible? I would say paradoxically, you don't ask that four year old to grow up ever. You can let them know they don't live in the original household, but you love them. They're always going to be your four-year-old. What you have to do is nurture an adult. And so often I will have clients take that four-year-old and imagine it with its happy, um, happy with its babysitter, its snack, and don't bring that four-year-old to the meeting because you're exactly right. There is a harrowing adult world to navigate, but stop bringing your four-year-olds and stop asking them to grow up. They're not going to grow up. They're the ones that are going to connect you probably to your deeper emotions, to your more primary alert system. And then you with a more awareness and also more adult selves that can nurture you, that's how you do it. And you don't reason with the crabby four-year-old. You take them by the hand and put them on some swings so that they release some of their energy. Or a very sad four-year-old, you just sit with it and hold it. So that's what I would say. 
because it, it doesn't work. Four-year-old selves are not going to grow up. So what you learn to do is recognize them and say, it's my job to take my four-year-old and make sure it's okay. So I can then bring my hard charging New Yorker, my CEO, my femme fatale, my feminine divinity and nail that meeting or whatever aspects of myself I need for the particular situation. When uh, there's things that we don't want to do, we just, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. It, it's interesting how we, we say, you know, put on your big girl pants and go take care of that or go <laughs> get your big boy pants on. So we, we are talking to our inner child and telling it, you know, grow up and do the thing that you said you were going to do. You know, and go, go just, have that tough conversation. Exactly. But I would just say by putting on your big girl pants, go to that big girl pants self. That's all. In other words, you're just asking the wrong self to put on the big girl pants. Ah, if that makes sense. And then the yes. big girl pants self says, okay, I hate that I have to have this conversation. I always say selves are allowed to have their opinions. I don't want to do it. I want magical thinking to work. But since it isn't, fine. But then you, again, you bring the adult who maybe has really good communication skills, has gone through therapy and understands mirroring limits, boundaries. And so when I hear that, I'm like, right, go get the big girl self that's wearing the big girl pants and go do the hard thing. But don't ask your four-year-old to do it. They're just going to melt in varying emotions and actually make you not effective. And thus often uh, add to feeling ineffective, which is partly where core negative beliefs keep getting fueled because the wrong parts are coming to the wrong tasks. And then if for those of us who have sometimes just felt sad because it's like, why isn't things working? I keep taking the steps. I was one of those people. I took all the steps, but what I had to learn was my scared four-year-old that like arrives on time and thinks that should be good enough, like the elementary school uh, school rules is going to actually make you an effective adult. They're not. Being on time is not always going to be what gets you the promotion, even though you the, the little girl or boy in you might think, well, I followed the rules. Isn't that enough? No. You know, that's a really good point because you're thinking with a younger self or, or yes, uh, thinking with a younger self rather than adult. And we do have our go-to selves. I mean, the reason that we have a particular personality is that there are parts of our personality that are out there more often than other parts. And when we're saying, you know, go, go put on your big girl pants um, and you're saying, well, no, you need to find your big girl self and, and let her come out. I think there are parts of us which are, unused and the difference between the ones that get less used and the go-to ones are somehow we have had some kind of success with our go-to selves. If we are always cranky and crabby and demanding and mean, and we get our way, why would we try and be nicer? You know, I agree completely. And I would say you wouldn't try to be nicer until there's a problem. And that's where we welcome stuckness or problems. In other words, that person will never try to be nicer. But if suddenly they have a teenage uh, daughter or son 
that is refusing to talk to them until they have a they want to relate to them they want to connect they don't want to be dealt with harshly or a bad tone of voice that's when that person will have to look in and see what other selves they have because they now have a goal they care about that demands that they don't lead with those go-to selves. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a, a neighbor who is mean and crabby and, and terrible. And every time you try to say hello, she barks at you. <laughs> and she was being really mean until one day when she needed something. And then all of a sudden she was very sweet, you know, would it be okay if blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wow, that's your nice self. I didn't know you had one of those. <laughs> and I, I love it. And it's, and I'm sorry that your neighbor is that way, but even how you did it, even your energy with a nice self, all of these selves are recognizable. Everything we're talking about is not something that you have to get trained to do. It happens naturally. And I love that, Suzanne. You literally changed your voice. You changed your, I because I can see you, you, you changed the way you even moved. And all of these selves can be recognized both within and outside of ourselves by the physiology, the energetics, the tone of voice, the words even that different selves use. So that's perfect. And she wanted you to forget that she, that she has this mean self. Like she didn't bring up her mean self. Like, I'm sorry for all those six years. I was so mean. But for these six mo- minutes, will you do what I want? Yes. <laughs> there was uh, Before this neighbor moved down from New England, uh, there was a phone call a few weeks in advance from this lady who said that she couldn't wait to come down here because she just can't handle all the mean people in Connecticut. (laughs) Okay. Mean attention, mean people in Connecticut. Please, If this is what you're producing, please do not move to Florida. We have enough problems (laughs) with this idea that, you know, all the, and I just don't understand why these people in Connecticut, they're just so mean. I just don't know. And then when she comes down to Florida, we see what, you know, I don't want to accuse anybody in Connecticut. I've never been to Connecticut. You know, they have some luck. Yale is in Connecticut. I'm not out to give Connecticut a hard time, but I do know that when people don't like where they are, they think that moving 1,500 or so miles away to a totally different environment, brand new people, new real estate, all of these things that somehow their lives are going to transform into paradise. Well, paradise here starts about 5 p.m. That's ah. here in Florida. That's our paradise. Mean people anywhere else can come to Florida, unfortunately, and still be mean. Exactly. And the other wild psychological thing is so often we dislike the parts in others that we need to deal with. She didn't like it in others, and they were mirroring what she is leading yes. with. Not that she, yeah. that's not her total part, but what she's leading with. Right. That is so fascinating because it, they're blind to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the exercises that I offer out and, and to your listeners is that write down someone who bothers you like this mean person and then write a few adjectives. What don't you like? Maybe. Um, and actually, Suzanne, would you do this with me? What are like two, <laughs> two or three adjectives that really bother you about her in particular? Uh, no, at all. Okay. And uh, uh, talks too loud. <laughs> Also, may I chime in? Yes, I'll do it with both of you. uh, This particular person, 
just steps in in order to help, and then they mess everything up, including a, a, a uh, an improvement project here with the HOA and all of this stuff. And then when they are called on it, we'll say, I was only trying to help. So they're pleading the mercy of the court there, you know, <laughs> but the, the mess still had to be cleaned up that she unnecessarily caused. And so there's this, there's a sense of constant monitoring. What is it today? Oh my God, is she coming around the corner? If you're at the shopping, you know how it is at the grocery store, somebody you're not getting along with, and all of a sudden your basket's heading separate directions, that sort of thing. Also, I'm also hearing two selves you didn't uh, mention specifically. So then she becomes victim. She's just trying to help and she's unaccountable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how do you each feel about those within yourself? Like your know-it-all parts, you're talking too loud, your own victim, your own part that doesn't like to take accountability. Oh, I don't like my victim. I don't like my unaccountable person. <laughs> I uh, I took a, a, a day off this week and I, I complained to Gary, I never get a day off. I'm working seven days a week. I never get a day off. Well, I took a day off and I was very lazy. And one of myself kept telling me how lazy I was all day. That's maybe your inner critic who sets oh, you up absolute. to fail. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how could you do nothing all day? Which is pretty much what I did. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad your lazy bones won that one. <laughs> yes. So here's the other thing about this and why I love this exercise. So one of the things this neighbor is representing is she's breaking your rules, whether you know it or not. So the, your inner critic often reminds you of the rules. Now, it's not the rules all of our parts follow, but you know the rules could be be accountable, don't be lazy, certainly don't be a victim. And don't be a know-it-all, even if you are, don't show it. Like there's different rules like that. So I'd love yes. to hear some of these rules that yeah. are getting flushed out. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, don't let people know you're a know-it-all. It reminds <laughs> me of Sheldon on Big Bang Theory. His mother is yelling at him and and uh, he says, the neighbor kids didn't like me because uh, you know, I, I was so smart and she says, well, they knew exactly why they didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> you can be smarter than everybody else, but they don't want to hear about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, we are coming up on the bottom of the hour. Why don't we go ahead and take our break? Uh, I mean, I need to refresh my material on trashing my neighbor here <laughs> oh. in, the, in the Seattle in the Seattle media market where there's a great demand for finding out, you know, what pisses me off in Sarasota, Florida before, before it's all misconstrued in the newspapers. So we're delighted. We're, I'm holding a copy of the final eighth in my hand, the author, Bridget Dengel Gaspard with a forward by Hal and Sidra Stone. This is some great stuff for people who want to get into the complexities for the sake of simplicity. If you want your life to be simple, you want it to be integrated. And if you're going to integrate, say hello to your inner selves, because there's probably more than a couple and they're all vying for your attention and maybe primacy in your own consciousness. We're going to talk to Bridget some more about all kinds of stuff. Let's talk about your neighbors next, uh, Bridget. We'll find out how, <laughs> how things are going. Uh-oh. In Brooklyn. Uh-oh. <laughs> I've, I've got a story. I was talking to a lady originally from Brooklyn whom I met in Las Vegas. I can get to that on the other side of the break. We also will have our marketing piece so that you can find out there more about the final eighth and more about 
Bridget Dengel Gaspard. We're Manson Mitchell. Give us a couple of minutes. We'll be right here with you, for you, and happy to be with you, too, on Mother's Day weekend. This is AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Daniel Bruce Levin, a soft-spoken philosopher of our times and author of The Mosaic, an allegory about life's journey. On Saturday, Kimrel Manor returns to talk about the science of making things happen. Use scientific principles to achieve your goals. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Bridget Tangle Gaspard. Bridget, we have enjoyed so much reading the final eighth and talking with you about it. This is our, our third time doing so in three years. Uh, you're a fun guest to talk about. And I think the work itself is really important to acknowledge uh, that we we are more than one cardboard, one-dimensional self. We do have multiple selves. Please let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you, what your social media is, website, your book, and uh, maybe even a little bit about your workshop that's uh, in May. Uh, apps, thank you, absolutely. So if you forget everything else, you can just put final eighth, dot com in the web or social media or because I'm also at BridgetDengelGaspar.com. But what I want to invite all your listeners to right now is the third Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, which is we have a free live voice dialogue learning lab every third Thursday and we have a live session so participants can watch how it really works. Now, my book absolutely describes this, but it's amazing to see it in action. So you watch a person go from oneself and then communicate 
and then to a different self and communicate. And you can really see it. So again, this is an intellectual, what we're doing, talking about it, but physiologically, it's astounding the freedom you get when you really understand on a visceral level how it is to embrace two different selves. Then we always have an, uh, an exercise so that people can leave having a sense of one of their inner selves, but we're gonna be taking a summer break. So this May 19th is the last one for a while because I do this with my partner, Eric Fatoma, and he's um, wonderful, but we realized too much Zoom for too long. We wanna encourage all the selves that like sunlight and moonlight and even rainstorms to go be outside and get away from Zoom. So come this May, and return in um, the fall. So take advantage of that. And my big news is my audio book is out. I yep. narrated it myself. So uh, for those that do better listening by taking in their different selves, uh, it's there on Audible everywhere. Books are sold both, uh, I guess, concretely as well as uh, orally. I'm out there and please stay in touch. I love to hear about people's selves stories. People do have different way of taking in information. And, and I happen to be very audially oriented. I will hear a lot of things. And I know most people will say that they have to look at stuff, but I don't have to look at stuff. If you want to get me from here to a place I've never been, uh, just tell me what the streets are and which way I'm turning or, you know, and I can figure it out just by hearing it much more so than seeing it instead of getting twisted around on paper. So I'm glad you've got the audio book as well. When people want to look up the final eighth, are they looking for the numerical eight or is eighth spelled out? Thank you so much. The numerical eight. Okay. So final eighth, it'll be final with a eight and a TH on it. That's the way to find Bridget Tangle Gaspard. And look at your inner selves, look at your multiple selves and, and look at how you can use all those various selves to really accomplish what you want to accomplish. I was thinking earlier today, I was making some notes and I thought, I wonder how this relates to having an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. <laughs> what do you think about that? Oh, I think that's a perfect <laughs> cartoon to describe uh, our inner selves except the way I approach it is the devil has as much right, as much um, uh, meaning to give your life as the angel. So that would be a big difference in, in a dialoguing with each of them. It's not like, let's get this devil to be less devilly. It's like, let's talk to that devil because sometimes that devil could come in the form of rebel, uh, rule breaker. And sometimes we need that. And maybe the angel is too airy fairy and not pragmatic enough. Oh, it'll all work out is becomes um, something the angel might say, but it actually may help procrastination because it's really kind of covering up for fear. So I love the angel and the devil, except that each get total rights in, in my world of inner selves, how I deal with them. I like that. And we're talking about uh, mothers and children on mother's day weekend having the perfect mother, you either want to be just like her or nothing like her at all. But um, there's this also this idea of mothering ourselves. Does everybody, every person, man and woman have a mother self in them that needs to be doing something good for us? 
Absolutely. And I think that's part of the work. Um, and I'm just remembering one more thing, if your listeners want. I always on the uh, on the 8th of every month at 8 p.m. Eastern, I'm on Instagram live. And I'm, so I'll be on tomorrow because tomorrow is the 8th of May. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm going to be talking about nurturing selves because, yes, now, if one if one feels like they don't have access to a truly nurturing self, there's ways to induct it. Like think about someone that you love, who you found nice. It, it, um, and also one of the words we use or terms now is uh, self-care, self-love, self-care, self-love. And that's great. But a lot of people like, I don't really know what to do with that. And so I would say that could be finding your nurturing self, one that cares. Now, your lazy bone self from the other day, there was an inner critic attack against it. But on some level, I feel like your lazy bone self really had self-care. Like you'd been working seven days a week too long and don't do anything. Don't have a schedule, you know, unplug completely. So I think one of the ways, and I love how Gary said this, you get complexity in order to move into simplicity. You get to realize, wow, this part that I judge, lazy bone self, because that is a big part in our society that's judged, often has our health. That's the other thing. They have motivations that are so deeply important, like our physical health, our psyche's health, our energetic health. So we get to shift our relationship with our different selves, find out what rules that they no longer should be supporting. And that's utter nurturance, I think, on a larger scale meaning larger in terms of ourselves. You know, on that lazy day that I was having where my critic was really berating me for sitting and watching the weather channel and working a crossword puzzle and just being, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing something else. I mean, I I heard that critic really loud. And I have to say, um, it was Gary that said, well, just take the day off. I mean, and he said it very casually, not like it was any big deal. I'm making a day off a big deal. Really? I mean, what's wrong? You know, that a day off is like a big deal to just do nothing. But he said, oh, take the day off. And and with that, my inner critic kind of shut up. Ah, good. Because yeah. again, our inner selves absolutely are in relation to our people that are in our lives and yes. their inner selves. Yes. They don't operate in a vacuum. Even if it's internal, it's still connected, either historically or currently or both. Yeah. <laughs> Bridget, I have a question that I would love to ask you, and I don't want to neglect to ask it because people may be wondering when we get into terminology, what is really meant? According to the final eighth philosophy, and I think it's fair to call it that, certainly the practice of it, as you teach it, as you practice it in your own life, what is the difference, the qualitative difference between the use of imagination creatively on the one hand and on the other resorting to magical thinking, which you mentioned before the break? You've got creative imagination, then you've got magical thinking. There's got to be something that distinguishes them. I love this. Now, I originally found voice dialogue when I was a performer in New York City. And I was an improviser and did stand-up comedy. And so when I first discovered voice dialogue, I also discovered at the same time improvisation. So I actually 
used voice dialogue as a creativity tool, almost like a paintbrush when I very first got into it, because there's nothing like, you know, accessing a different part of yourself to embody a character, the tough girl, the sexy siren. But as I began to study voice dialogue and get sessions myself, that's when I stumbled upon the healing power of really embodying different parts that you didn't have permission to embody before or hold parts of your life story that are part of some people's trauma history or un unlived lives history. And so that's what made me go back to Columbia because I was like, this healing is so extraordinary. I want to know more. So uh, so then that's, so it can always still be used as a creativity tool. I work with a lot of writers and the whole point is they need to get access to characters in their novels. I mean, it's absolutely for creative, imaginal purposes, and it's very helpful to them. And so with magical thinking, that's a term that's like, you want things to happen, but you don't take any steps to make them happen. And usually it's because it's fear-based. You're too afraid to. So you just wish like a little, again, toddler. And there's nothing wrong with it when you're a toddler. It's acceptable. Oh, I'm going to wish my beloved grandma is here with me at lunchtime, even though she's seven states away. And so magical thinking is not a bad thing. I would say it is even a progenitor for our creative thinking. But when it's used as an avoidance, like, oh, you're just going to wish that your partner didn't mistreat you and you're not going to find the courage and the strength and the people to help you to learn to make boundaries, the pragmatic stuff. So I would say that the magical thinking self is a very small self who's terrified, probably. And then there's other selves that need to be adult selves to step in to do the pragmatic stuff. And then that magical thinking could be used in its right arena, which would be creativity, or even just like enjoying a yoga class and letting go of everything. And it's like, oh, I'm imagining I'm in India right now, and I feel the hot sand under my asana and whatever else comes up. <laughs> Does that answer your question? I, I want to make sure I touch base on it all. Yes. Yeah, it definitely did. I can think of any number of instances. I'm thinking of one now where I had a thought before Suzanne and I moved down here to Sarasota. We were still residents of the Seattle area. And I remember thinking, wow, that's amazing that we saw a product by a friend of mine from church in Seattle. And I go, look at us. We're here on the Gulf of Mexico, Siesta Key Beach. And nearby, they had the Siesta Key Village. So there's just you know, everything from soup to nuts. And I saw this product in the window, and I knew the creator of it. Now, look at this, Suzanne. Incredible. Here we are walking around Siesta Key. We're looking at this product by our friend so-and-so. So on the plane ride back, and it was a fairly long one, I had plenty of time on my hands. We took the night flight. And I remember thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great? Because I hadn't seen this particular lady in several years. And I say, you know what? If I ever see her again, because I'm so amazed that I saw her product here and of which she was so proud. I said, I would like to tell her about that. And I would, I'd open up by saying her name. Do I have a story for you? And I just thought about that. It was a very pleasant few minutes just creating that in my mind, feeling the reality of it. it was wonderful. So uh, we got back uh, you know, early part of the week. Next Sunday, of course, I've got a story here, right? I got to tell it. Next Sunday, we go to church. And after church, I'm standing there in the long hallway. 
And lo and behold, the lady I hadn't seen in several years is standing across the hallway and she turns and she's looking at me. She's trying to catch my eye. And then I looked over at her, we locked eyes and I said her name and do I have a story for you? And it was as close to magic as I've experienced. And I thought, have a thought, invest yourself with enough emotion to give it motive power, as I like to say. And then some things that you would consider the stuff of pure fantasy can become reality if all of the elements of opportunity are in place. I love that. And yes, Jung would call that synchronicity. And yes. often he would say, when, syn- when you have synchronicity, that's a sign that you're on the right path. That he uh, he gave meaning to even the fact that that happens. Oh, that's amazing. And on some level, not surprising, right? At the same time, when you start to hook into that kind of energy, like you said, and imbuing it with emotions of like it's already happened. It had already happened before you actually saw her. And then it happened again, just this time in real life. You know, that's a great point, Bridget. You made a lot of great points today, but here's another one. When I think of William James and how this must be at the turn of the 20th century, imagine hearing this kind of stuff. They think you're a goofball, but no, he was William James, a brilliant intellectual. He taught at Harvard saying things like the subconscious mind operates in such a way as to allow us to make a claim and it operates as a claim or a bit of a demand on our subconscious mind to produce a given thing or a given experience. And once we are all in, in for a penny, in for a pound, as the old British saying goes, once you do that, you're setting in motion the kind of dynamic activity in which you can say, once you've realized this dream of yours or this aspiration, that it seems like as soon as I made a decision, the whole universe was on my side conspiring to make it happen. It's so incredible. And there's like nothing, you can barely describe the joy of that feeling when that happens, right? It's wonderful. And I think that goes with the final eighth too, is like the more you know about both sides of yourselves that are pro and con your goal, it opens up this energetic way where things align, just as you said, and it may not unfold the exact way you imagined, often even better and quicker if you're really all in for the penny and the pound and the farthing too. That's right. And (laughs) another bright bulb, Albert Einstein, was it not Dr. Einstein who said that one of the fundamental questions everyone must ask himself or herself, is the universe friendly? I mean, not only is there a God, but does God take a particular interest, even in terms of lawfully ordered behavior, a cosmic divine sense of purpose? Do we have that, for the lack of a better term, at our disposal? Everybody is going to be confronted with that question one way or another. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think you can make it on a micro level. Like I can choose that I'm going to live as if at any moment I could get the absurd good news, which was um, by Colin Wilson's philosophy that when I stumbled upon that, I was like, why didn't I find this when I was 15 and absolutely pessimistic? And he made this choice. He said it was a, a like an awakening at, when he was a teenager and he was suicidal and he was in the middle of an attempt 
And this wave came to him and he said, don't think pessimism is the way, choose optimism. And I, I, I think it's so powerful. And so whether some intellectual parts could argue, but, uh, and correctly, we have all of this cruelty and all of this history of oppression, etc. Yes. But does that have to be your go-to way of looking at the world? I, I, do you guys know Rob Brezhnev's book, Pronoia? I love it. And he, no, I love yes, the title. I, I will give you. Isn't that amazing? And he's like, <laughs> oh, yes. The, um, I, I'll, yeah, you, you guys might want to have him on. He's so amazing. But he's like, of course the universe has my back. I'm pronoia, not paranoia for those that, uh, just for your oh, listeners. And it's a wonderful book. He has a book that's huge and fun. It's very quixotic and arty and full of little essays. And it's called Pronoia, that the world is working for you and the universe is working for you. And you need to hook into that and that we have the choice to do that. And it's actually an empowerment choice. And it's disempowering. If you're going to buy, it's all for naught. Um Look at the weight of these terrible things, which are indeed terrible and are indeed heavy. And so I love that you're bringing this up. Mm. Well, thank you. It just it reminds me of how opportune it is when we take a few moments to have a philosophy of life. I don't think most people do. You know, my philosophy is that may be an attitude of the moment, but to have an a philosophy, elegant or inelegant, by by which you guide your own life. There's in the science in the scientific world, there are hypotheses, there are theories, theorems, yes, all of that. But you talk to a scientist, they're always looking for the elegance in a hypothesis or a theory. If it comes across elegantly, it probably stands up well to scientific challenges, to peer reviews, for example. I love that. I love, I love elegant on the more superficial movie star level. And I love elegant on the scientific level. It's, it's true. Um, and I do, I think it, it, there's a sense of elegance that comes with what you described, like, wow, I have this idea on a plane and there it is unfolding right now. And it's not deja vu, which is a whole other thing. Maybe we'll get to some other time, but yeah. I had the feeling just then that we already had. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like what you said about, um, you know, people not having a philosophy, Gary. I think it, it really is healthy to at least find one of yourselves that is a philosopher and looks at how do I look at life? How do I perceive life? Is it for me? Is it against me? And, and for some reason, what popped into my head when you said that was my birthday, which I had about three weeks ago. And it was a truly wonderful, magical day. You know, when you get to be old, all, all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, yet another birthday. And I just had such a wonderful day all day long. Truly, truly, truly wonderful. Everything was magical about the day. Gary and I were driving home. And I'll tell you one of myself, Bridget, gets a little scared. When things are too good, then I say to myself, oh my gosh, is this the last day I'm going to be alive? Because this was like the perfect day. And I said to Gary, you know, things went so well today. I'm actually a little scared. And Gary said to me, ask yourself, how much better could things get? 
I love that. And I said, that's oh, the, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to think about that instead. How could things get that. even better? How could oh. they get even when you're already at the top? When, that's when a it, great question. When you're having the best day of your life, how could things get even better? Wow. Because I didn't think they could. You know, right. I went I went to fear instead of instead of delight because it, oh. it really was a nice day. That's amazing. And also, I think that's a great philosophy. Not how can it get better because I'm dissatisfied currently, but the opposite. I am so fulfilled. And it could even be better than this. That's the that's the optimism choice, yes. the, the pronoia. The yeah. other thing, though, with the little scared self, because we always like to pay attention to the other yes. selves, is that somehow happiness is scary or too much happiness. It breaks yes. a rule. Some yep. people still have yep. those rules like that's being greedy. You can't yep. have too much. But the other thing is often our cells protect us against strong emotions. And so there could be disappointment. Tomorrow's not going to be as good no matter what. So yeah. those scared cells are like, they're trying to kind of protect you in advance for a strong emotions that you might have. And so if you can handle the strong emotions, like, yeah, it might be sad a little tomorrow. It'll be like, I think the, as we talked about one time, the postpartum party depression blues, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then if you can handle that, then you can stay in the moment of just, this is gorgeous and delicious and wonderful and that other parts not telling you to get off the good stuff before you get disappointed when it's over over or morning yes comes or whatever it is yeah yeah i mean I, I do think it's important to figure out how you're looking at life because i mean in your book you're talking about accomplishing goals we all get stuck somewhere and and so if you can realize what that stuckness is about and call on another part of yourself that is not stuck in that a particular um, event or experience, then I think that when you when you can enlist different parts of yourself, then you are uh, able to get yourself unstuck. And you know, by by Gary saying, "Well, ask how could things even better be better than this?" I was willing to be unstuck from, "Oh my gosh, what a great day! What could what's going to go wrong now?" It it was like, "What could go right now?" And 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 you know, I think that's good to develop. It's we need that kind of stuff right now because you know the news is so negative. We we need to have all kinds of tools in the toolbox for being positive and not Pollyanna-ish and not yeah. like an ostrich with a head in the sand, but just like to really move our lives forward in the way that we want them and to experience this life even better. I love that. It's almost like a muscle you can choose to develop, like this part of yourself, the one that's like, yes. And I also think it's empowering. Like I'm not going to let all these outside influences, which are difficult, take this away from me because I have the power to do that. That's terrific. I want to mention the title of the book. If you haven't got it by now, here's one more crack at it. The final eighth. And the subtitle is enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals. 
And if you don't have goals, it'd be a good idea to get some because the means whereby are found within the covers, between the covers of this wonderful book, The Final Eighth, and the author is Bridget Dengel Gaspard. We will be so delighted to have you back for a fourth time, Bridget, because there's always something to get into. I look forward to it. Yay. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, everyone. 